Now tonight, it's so funny when I walked in, um, I had a conversation with someone and who had went out of town for vacation and they had mentioned a play, a biblical play, and um, it was about Esther. And it was so funny because that's where we're going to be tonight. We're going to be in the book of Esther tonight. And, and it's, it's crazy. Even the first song, like I didn't, I didn't tell anybody what I was preaching on. The first song that started off has a lot of the themes we're going to be talking. God's here. God has something to say tonight. I truly, truly, truly believe that. Well, if you have your Bibles uh, tonight, open up to Esther 6. Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever uh, seen a movie or maybe a TV show that kind of leaves you like on a cliffhanger? Anybody seen this, these kind of movies? Like I know one of these Avengers movies, um, I used to watch them. They did like a two-part ending where one of them literally ended like where there was more to come. There was like a to-be-continued type movie type deal. And a lot of the shows growing up when I was a kid, uh, it was like a Monday through Friday type show. Sometimes Friday would end like, come back next week on Monday where we'll continue this episode of whatever, whatever that show was, fill in the blank. Sometimes it literally was someone hanging off a cliff, like literally a cliffhanger. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that sometimes life can be like that too for us. Um, when we're thinking about the future, you know, I, I'm so like think, always thinking about my students, my middle schoolers and my high schoolers so often and just knowing when summer hits, it's like a transition period into another grade level, right? Um, some of my guys are going from middle school to high school. They're going to a brand new school. And that can be, that can be a, little, a little scary sometimes. And we don't have the ability to, to see what's going to happen next. We don't have the ability to see uh, the future. But we know what God has told us in his word about our end of time. And, and sometimes we don't see what happens in between. And we don't know what to expect there can be a lot of uncertainty about our future a lot of times. Anybody ever been there? Just uncertain what that next move is, uncertain what's going to happen. And sometimes we, we can't see the results of our actions and what they're leading up to. Only when we look in hindsight, we see, well, God was there. God was there. God was there. He was there the whole time. But a lot of times that, can, that uncertainty can lead to, like, worry and anxiety and stress Wondering what, what the future holds and what's going to happen next. How am I going to get through uh, this payment, this debt? What, what's my job looking like? It feels uncertain. I don't know what to expect next. And we don't know what the future brings, but we know where to turn to as God's people. We know where to go as God's people. God's word tells us to turn to him. To turn to him. We can be confident and know that God is the one that knows it all. We can be confident that even in our uncertainty, God is not uncertain. He knows. And because of that, we should trust in him. One of my favorite verses, one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible is Romans 8, 28. And I could literally give you all the mic and y'all could probably read it back to me. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, the good, the bad, the in-between, all things work together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that in the depths of your soul tonight? I believe that with all of my heart. Even when life looks something like where we're going to get into here in our story tonight, even when life doesn't seem like it's all adding up sometimes, 
And so we see here in Esther chapter 6, we see a couple of characters here, uh, Esther and Mordecai. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here. We're the Sunday night crowd, okay? But Esther and Mordecai, we enter chapter 6, kind of leaving off chapter 5 on this, on this cliffhanger, this little bit of cliffhanger here, kind of uncertain here. And a little backstory to kind of where we're at uh, in chapter 6. Esther has been elevated to queen. There's so much I'm leaving out here. But Esther has been elevated to queen, and there's a king named Ahasuerus. And this man named Mordecai, he's Esther's cousin. And this cousin ends up finding and hearing these two guards having this plot, this plan to, to kill this king, to take this king out, to, to have him destroyed. Well, Mordecai tells his cousin Esther, and she relays this message to the king, and they put that fire out. Then on the scene, we see this evil man named Haman. Who remembers Haman? Yeah, we know who Haman is. Haman joins the scene here, and he's newly promoted. He has all the status, right? He has all the, the titles and whatnot, and he's kind of a big deal, but when he's going out into the city and he sees Mordecai, Mordecai will not. He refuses to bow down to this guy. He refuses to give homage to this guy, the scriptures say. And that really angers Haman. That really makes him mad. He's like, this guy is not, he's not doing what everyone else is doing. He's not doing it. And so he ends up concocting these plans to destroy all of Mordecai's people, which are the Jews. All of his people. He wants to destroy them all. He says it in a way to the king to where he gets this thing signed off by the king with this signet ring, with the stamp of the king's approval. This thing is now law. There is now a date in the future where all of the Jews are going to be destroyed or seemingly or seemingly. Esther begs and pleads before the king. And, and in doing this, she's risking her life just to go before the king, just to enter his presence when she's not summoned, she could be killed right there on the spot, but he extends his golden scepter and he allows her to come in and allows her to speak. And she pleads for the life of her people. Her life is spared. And the king asked her, what do you want? And she says, well, let's go to this dinner party, you and Haman and, and myself. We'll, we'll, go to this, we'll go to this dinner party. And while there, she they eat and drink, and then the king asked her again, so, okay, we're here at this dinner party. What's your request? What's your wish? She's like, well, let's come back to another dinner party. We'll come back to a second one. So they kind of disperse that, uh, after that uh, dinner party, that first one, and we see that Haman here, he leaves this party, and he, he sees Mordecai again, and same thing, Mordecai is not giving him that honor. He's not paying him that homage that he just wants so badly and so he goes home, and he, of course, he's, he's the type of man that uh, Mark kind of described earlier. He's a wicked man, okay? He doesn't walk in the paths of the Lord. And he's going home and just bragging how amazing he is, right? All the glory pointed at him, everything, how amazing he is. But this Mordecai doesn't see it. This Mordecai refuses to see it. And he gets this advice. He gets this bad counsel from his buddies, from his friends and his wife, to concoct this plan, to have Mordecai killed, to have him taken out, and then to go early in the morning and present this to the king, to present this, to make this happen. And that's how chapter 5 ends. It ends right there, and we jump in to chapter 6 with this uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen, actually not even looking really good for our guy here, Mordecai. 
but even in our lives when we don't know what the future may bring, what that next step is in our lives, we need to be reminded tonight that there's no reason to worry, that there's no reason to doubt, that there's no reason to be anxious about the future. Although we may not understand it all, we may not have the full picture, what's important is that God does, that God knows. He sees it all. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Lean not on your own understanding. It's the Lord who's directing our steps as God's people. Do you believe that? It's God that's working here, behind the scenes here, if you will, in our story. And he will work all things together for the good to those who love God, Scripture says. Our future is secure, even when it seems uncertain. It is secure in God. It is secure in Christ, even if it looks like this. Even if it looks like this. And I love how this book, you can just see God, his fingerprints all over this entire book. But it doesn't explicitly say, God said this, or God did that. It doesn't explicitly say that here in this book. And sometimes it's like our lives. Even though we can't see God, even though we don't understand it all, even though we can't totally get the full picture, we know who God is. We know God's character from Scripture. Even though it might not seem like it's explicitly stated on the pages of our lives, We know God's working in our lives. You can be assured. You can be certain that God is working in your life even tonight. He is working in your life always, always. All things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we leave this chapter 5 and we jump into chapter 6. And our main character sort of here, Esther, she's still alive. She's still breathing even though... She risked her life to go ask the king this, this thing. And we see Haman concocting this, this evil plan to try to take out Mordecai. And we're going to jump into verse 1 of chapter 6. I love reading the scriptures. And so we're going to read the scriptures right now. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles. And they were read before the king. Verse 2. And it was found written how Mordecai had told Bigthana and Teresha, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Verse 3, and the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said nothing has been done for him. Verse 4, and the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on these gallows that he had prepared for him. Verse 5, and the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? You could just see Haman's pride here. And Haman said to himself, well, whom Would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, let me tell you. Verse 8, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. 
Verse 9, and let the robes and the horses be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. And let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Verse 10, then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said. And do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Verse 11, so Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Verse 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. Verse 13, and Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, whom, before whom you have begun uh, to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Verse 14, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. We can trust God that he is working all things for the good, for us, for those who love God. And I love how this, this starts off saying on this same night, there's this, this ongoing night that's going on. And the same time that Haman is devising this evil plan to, to have Mordecai killed, he's building literally this death Trap this death display for Mordecai's life at that same exact time, sleepless, building this overnight. It says that the king was sleepless, that while he was busy building this, while he was busy concocting this evil plan for Mordecai's downfall, for Mordecai's de demise, we see the king is also awake, that something is happening with this king over here. We see God involved here. And it wasn't that this king was watching his depleted 401k that kept him awake. It wasn't that he was over-caffeinated, okay? That's not why he's awake here. He doesn't have regrets of telling Esther that he said she could have up to half of his kingdom. She offers that again in, in chapter 7. He offers that again. No, he needs to be sleepless. This night is sleepless because God is at work. Because this is what God had. This is what God was in God's plan. And the king calls over his young men and they begin reading this book of kind of like these amazing deeds that happened in his life. And they happen, happen to stumble upon what Mordecai had done for the king. And they see that Mordecai was never rewarded. He was never properly thanked at all. At the same time, at the same night that all of this evil plan was concocted. The king was noticing something, that Mordecai was responsible for saving his life and that he should be rewarded properly. Look at the timing here. You can see God involved here. You can see him all over this. And in, in Persian kings, which this guy was, they were known for rewarding handsomely those servants who were faithful, especially a servant who would have saved his life. This, because this would have encouraged other people who would see this man getting rewarded to do the same. If, if somebody else came up and rose up with a plan to take out the king, that they would be, uh, they would be pushed to also uh, let the king know so that that plan could be 
demolished, that that plan could be taken out. We just see God here working all over this place. That at the same time, on the same night, God's timing is perfect. His timing is always perfect. And we see it just properly be put in the right place here. And the king is like, we need to reward this man. We need to do something for Mordecai. And, and sometimes in life, it might seem like there's potential disappointments or some milestones that we don't hit or things that we expected to happen don't happen right away in our lives. But God has perfect timing. He's always on time. He's never, never late. He's never late. And all this time, it's, it kind of goes past us. There's a lot of time that's passed here. There's a lot of time that is passed here. No thank you, no gift cards, no nothing, no rewards at all to Mordecai, at all. Nothing's written down, nothing's recorded. Nothing was done for him. But all this time, God was working his plan. God was working to make something happen. And at the perfect time, on his timing, we're going to see that the reward that Mordecai gets was better than he could have ever imagined because in this, his life is going to be spared and so are the lives of his people. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. And sometimes in our lives when there's, there's this seemingly delay in God's timing, like why isn't this happening according to my schedule, to my expectations, God's doing it because it's going to be for your good, for your best. It is always best on God's timing. And God is willing to wait years. Are you? Do you trust him for that? I always think about Abraham in the, in the promised son. That was multiple decades, people. That was multiple decades. Maybe that doesn't bring you comfort, but we need to be okay with this. In God's plan, we need to trust in him, not our own expectations, not in our own understanding. We must trust God that he knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. And again, we see the king and, and Haman. They're, they've been up all night and for two very different reasons. And Haman's busy building this thing and the king can't sleep. And Haman strolls in at the perfect time again as if this was directed by God. And he strolls in at this perfect time, taking the advice from his, from his evil counsel, from his friends and from his wife, to have these gallows built and to go early in the a.m. and tell the king his plan. And he comes in right when the king's asking, how can I reward this Mordecai? How can I reward him? And they're like, well, Haman's out there. He's like, okay, bring him in. What perfect timing. And he brings in Haman. I challenge you to look back on your own life, to reflect back on your own life and see the goodness and faithfulness of God. God is so good. God is so faithful. Maybe things that you look back in your life, then in the moment you didn't see God working, but as you look in hindsight, you can see that God just lined it up perfectly. And it worked out for his perfect purpose. His timing is always perfect. He's never late. And we see the king again and, and Haman here, and, he, and the king asks Haman, now that he's in his presence, he says, what should be done to this man I want to honor? And he doesn't say the name. Right? He doesn't say the name. What should be done to this man that I want to honor? And Haman, he's just standing before the king, just so selfish and just so full of pride, thinking this must have been him. This must have been Tom. There's nobody else. This is Haman. This has to be Haman. This has to be me, right? 
Always doing what's right in his own eyes. Always doing what's right in his own eyes. And he's like, okay, well, I think we should do all these things. Let's put these robes on him. Like he's going to be like the king riding on his horses. Give him the crown. Give him all of it. That's what you should do for him. He knew what the proper protocols were of what you normally would reward somebody, but thinking it was him? Well, in that case, let's put that aside and let's do all these things. I want the kingly treatment. I want the kingly treatment. And you can just see that, that he has all the glory directed on himself. He has everything just pointed to him. You can see sin on full display here. The wicked man, the way of the wicked, as we, we, we saw this morning, just focused on self, self-absorbed, glorifying self, no regard for others, definitely no regard for God. All about self. This was Haman here. And his downfall is being prepared here. His downfall is being prepared, trapped in his, his own prideful desires here. We see what ends up happening here. Just thinking that, that all this was for himself, this wicked man. But God's perfect timing created this opportunity here. Things couldn't possibly get better for Haman, he probably thought. But he says, do this through all of this, right? I can imagine him just going through that whole sentence like, and then he says for Mordecai at the end. <laughs> can you imagine the pride hit there? Can you imagine that? What he must have been thinking? But the Bible says that pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall, and that is playing out right here in our story. This wicked man, this Haman, he embodies that. He embodies that. And then even thinking as a Christian, maybe even in, in your own lives, maybe like Haman who had the status and like Haman who had the titles, maybe in your life you see your troubles that way. Like they're just... They have the status. They, they, they're so high in this high position in your mind. And it seems like these gallows, like everything is just stacked against you. That these gallows are being built for your downfall, so to speak. That the outcome is looking bleak in your life. Maybe you, you're facing something like that tonight. But know that God is working it all for your good. He's working it all for your good. And his timing is perfect. He will see you through. He always does. He always does. And there would have been delays and delays and delays and closed doors for Mordecai here. And all this time has passed. But again, thank God he's not like us who shows up late. He shows up on time every single time. Every single time. And we see what ends up happening here. Haman ends up clothing Mordecai and doing everything he said for Mordecai. Everything that he laid out, he's doing it all for Mordecai this Jewish man, and he ends up running home crying, covering his face, just humiliated, like thinking it was going to be something so much different. He, he runs home humiliated, and this council that he goes to, these people, his friends, <laughs> they end up telling him something so much different. Haman, he's not bragging this time. When he comes here, they say, well, if this man's Jewish, it's, it's over for you. <laughs> like, what? That's not encouraging, you know? Like, it's over for you. It's over. And we see over and over again through God's word that God's people make it through because of God. Over and over because of God, he sees them through it all. And he will see you through whatever you're facing tonight. Whatever you're facing in your life, God will see you through. 
And again, we see this, this, this perfect timing, everything lining up the way it should be all throughout this story. Even in the chapter 7 where Esther ends up, they end up at, at, at this party, the second party, the second dinner party. We see Queen Esther revealing like, hey, I'm a Jew. Hey, somebody's devising this plan to take out my people. And that person is this wicked Haman. That person is this wicked Haman. And he just sits there silent. Not a word was said. Not a word was said. This guy who couldn't stop bragging about himself, having the glory, just everything pointed to him, so self-absorbed, he shut. The enemy's mouth is shut. It is shut. Completely silenced. He's probably thinking, like, check, please, like, get me out of here. Right? And he's sitting there in silence, helpless, as this king is deciding his fate. And this just reminds me, that God has already defeated Satan. He's already defeated the enemy. He is greater than the enemy that comes against you, Christian. The, the enemy that comes against you, believer. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No enemy is any kind of match for God. He has no rival. His mouth is completely shut here. And the king ends up going into this garden and and I can imagine him just walking back and forth, thinking about what, to do, what, 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 what he should do here. It reminds me of parents, like, when, you, when your kid, like, does something so bad and just messes up and, like, what should I do? You could just see him fuming here. Like, he's just so mad here. And then he walks in again, the king, at this perfect time, at the right time. And he sees Haman begging Queen Esther begging her in a way that he was not supposed to, falling before her on the couch, a way he was not supposed to. God is just orchestrating everything in this story. And Haman is executed on that very tool that he was built, on that very weapon that was going to be used against Mordecai. He's executed on that. God is making these things happen. Do you see what's happening in this story Everything that has transpired up to this, this point, all these events, it's all on God's time. And it's all according to God's perfect plan here. From Esther being chosen as the new queen all the way back in chapter 2 to Mordecai hearing this plot to kill the king. To, to, to Mordecai's honor being delayed, and we see the purpose there. To Haman's plan to, to kill all of God's people, to take out all the Jewish people here to Esther risking her life before the king. All of these things, God has orchestrated all of this. All of these things are under the sovereign hand of God. All of them. He's working here, and he's working it out for their good. He's directing their steps. He's preserving his people even in the face of death itself. No matter what you're facing, know that God is working, that he's working it for your good. Again, Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. We see just God's victory over evil in this passage. And, and it continues here in this next chapter. We've got a, one more point here. I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. All right. But we see God just in this next, in this next portion of, of, of Esther in chapter 8, we see the impossible happen here. Have you ever heard a story or have seen something in, in your life that you're like, that's impossible, but then you see it actually happen? 
Have you ever seen that? Like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm a Spurs fan. The Spurs got the number one pick. To me, that was impossible, and it happened. Thank you, Jesus, for the number one pick. Anyways, but for real, we see that Haman's dead, right? All of our problems are solved. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Because there's still a massive problem. That edict that Haman sent out, that edict that he sent out to have all these Jews killed, that thing was still in effect, even though Haman's dead. Why? Because it was signed with the king's signet ring. It had the stamp of the king's approval. And that thing is irreversible. That thing cannot be overturned. It's not like they can hold the vote. Like, let's vote on this thing. No, you can't do that. That thing's already out. It is law. And there is a day scheduled for these people to be put to death. But God's ahead of the problem. God's always ahead of the problem here. And Esther, we see that her wish was granted for her own life, but this request for her people was still unfulfilled because of this edict that is out there. And she could have just left it alone, but she goes in again and pleads for her people. She pleads for her people. This impossible thing. Can you lift this edict? But it has already been sent out. But God makes a way. He always makes a way, and he makes a way here. And we see that what the king says, he's like, well, write what you want concerning your people. Write what you want concerning them. And don't forget to do it in the name of the king. Write this new edict and put my ring, put my signet ring, my stamp of approval on it. So what was seemingly impossible is now made possible by God. God was in front of that trouble. He already had this thing already planned out. He already had a solution that was about to transpire. Mordecai had the signet ring. He had already been elevated. God knew what this was going to play out. And that encourages me, and that should be so encouraging to us that even by the time that that trouble comes on our radar in our life, when that storm finally comes face to face with us, that God already, he's been there. He's out in front of you already. That he's already there. Whatever it is that you're facing in your life, God's already there. The uncertainty about unemployment, about employment, God's there. About a diagnosis, God's there. About debt, God's there. About your kids and what school they're going to go to or whatever it is in their lives, God's already there. The next steps in your career, God's already there. He's already there. Do you trust in him for that? Do you trust him? He's the only one that can turn impossible situations into possible ones. He can make impossible situations a reality. He can make them happen. And I love, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but... In this first edict, I had this language laid out. And in the second one, we see that the same kind of language is used out, but in, in a way that, that, that is going to save the Jewish people. It's like every single detail was addressed. And God, that's the way he is. That's the kind of power God has. He gets every single detail. Every single detail is addressed. I love that. I love that here. And this reminds me of our spiritual state this impossible state that we find ourselves in. The Bible says that we all sin and fall short of God's glory, that there is nothing that we could possibly muster up. There is nothing that we could do to save ourselves, to please God. It's impossible, but God made a way. And that way is Jesus Christ. He gives life and hope. He brings us this good news of forgiveness of sin, this edict, if you will, this way he brings darkness and gives, he, he, he takes away darkness and gives us light. He takes away death and gives us life. He takes away the dirty rags of sin and gives us royal robes like Mordecai does here. Clothes us in his righteousness. 
He sent his son Jesus to die for us. Only God could do the impossible, even the impossibility of salvation. Only God could do that. Only God can save. And it's funny, at the end of this chapter in in chapter 8, it talks about that at the end of this chapter, we see all these people of that country declared themselves Jews. Was it just because, like, oh, I want to be Jewish? No, it it wasn't that. Because the way they operated, they, they had the fear of the Jews had fallen on them, but even more so their God, the God behind the Jews, the God of the Bible. And so what we see here in, the, in these few passages here in Esther, that the Lord is working all things for your good. That he has perfect timing. That he's orchestrating these events in your life. That he's ahead of all of your problems. And he has a solution. And he makes the impossible possible. Do you trust in God tonight? Do you trust in this God? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the great God that you are, God. All of Scripture, God, is breathed out by you and profitable for teaching your word says. And all of Scripture points to one person, and that's Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, God, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you're doing and the lives of every single person in this place, your sons and your daughters, God. I thank you for the work that you're doing in Destiny Church as well, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're a good God and that you always come through for us, God, that you're working all things together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God, tonight, we lean not on our own understanding, God, but in all our ways we acknowledge you, God. We lift you up, and unlike Haman, God, we give all the glory, always and forever, to you and you alone. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.